You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is Pastor Brian. Just want to say good morning to you. Our 10 a.m. service. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So glad that you're with us here this morning at Crossroads. Thanks for joining us. Whether you're in your PJs right now, whether you're getting some lunch ready for a little bit later, whether you're just, you know, you're you're in between episodes of Netflix, whatever it is, man, welcome to Crossroads. And we are so grateful to have you with us here today. Uh, Now, listen, just wanted to give you just some updates. You know, uh, the COVID stuff is happening. I wanted to give you some encouraging updates on some really cool things that are happening uh, here at Crossroads and and because of what you're you're, you're being a part of. Now, first is that last week we asked you to jump in and do some online growth groups. Guys, over two hundred people are now doing digital growth groups with Zoom calls and all kinds of things. Man, way to go. Way to step up and do that. Super excited for what God's going to do through those, those new groups that are forming. But really, another thing to let you know about is that you are helping to help those first responders that are out there in some pretty tangible ways. Over 15 different shifts of police officers and firemen and uh, hospital workers have been blessed by some food because of your generosity. So just a few pictures of those guys that are out there in the front lines getting some food. We even got the shaka going on there. And then this group, we're going big time. We got them in and out. In, in and out. Like we're not messing around. They're not messing around for us. So we got some in and out. Now there is like a, a light salad up there if there's some salad people. So we're, we're hooking it up. But hey, I just want to let you know, thank you for your generosity and being a part of what we're doing here, the mission of Jesus to be able to love those that are taking such good care of us. And so Thank you to all of our first responders. Thank you for continuing to support the mission here at Crossroads. You're making a difference in people's lives. So thank you so much. Now, I know there's some people joining us from all over the world. I know Barbie and Kevin are joining us. I I thought I saw Jamie from Escalon that was on earlier. Liz is joining us. Um, Erin and her brand new puppy uh, are joining us right here in Manteca. I think everyone is getting a puppy. My kids really want one. Anison and Easton, the answer is still no. Mom will shake her head no also at the same time. So man, really glad that you're with us here today. Our mission is the, is the same no matter where we're at. And that is we want to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Your chat hosts are available to help you with that, to pray with you, to help you take your next step with Jesus. So make sure you connect with them and want to say thank you to all the chat hosts that are making this possible today. Uh, But today we come to this part of the Christian season that is a crescendo towards Easter. And Easter is so fun and so exciting. And because of the, the digital revolution that we're in right now, you are going to be able to invite more people than ever to hear the good news of Jesus Christ this year. And so we want you to be inviting those three people. We want you to be connecting with them, inviting them. Your campus host can help you with some some abilities to be able to do that. But another thing that we're going to provide for you is a social media outlet, a social media way that you could actually just frame your picture, your profile picture with our Easter logo. Uh, You can do that by going to crossroadsgrace.org slash frame, or you can also go to the Facebook page uh, that will, will let you change your profile picture for a temporary period of time. But this is an easy way to get that. Fun way to get the word out, inviting people to be a part of it. And don't 
I'm going to give you a little hint. Don't miss out on the video that we're going to be posting later today that you are a part of helping to make happen. So another way to tell people about just what's happening and also to say thank you to some very, very important people. So keep your eyes open for that. But just let's get the word out. Easter is next week. We want to see you there. But today we come to a time in the Christian world that is known as Palm Sunday. Uh, But if you don't believe in God or you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you might be asking yourself, what's the deal with this palm thing? Like what's the, especially if you grew up in in California, palm trees are no big deal. But I grew up in South Dakota. I know there's a few South Dakotans out there that are joining us. Uh, I grew up in South Dakota. So uh, palm trees were not a common thing. Like you never saw them anywhere. It would be like today seeing um, the shelves at Target lined with all the toilet paper back in. You would just stand in awe of that and not know what to do with it. And so a palm branch to us was a big deal. So what's, what's the deal with all the palm branches? Well, well, Palm Sunday is a very interesting moment in history, a very moment in history. You might even say that it's a bittersweet moment in history. And, and life is filled with bittersweet things. You know, for instance, there are, uh, there's all kinds of things. Like there is, there's Sour Patch Kids. Those are bittersweet, a little bitter on the outside, sweet on the inside, um, pretty much guaranteed to give you some sort of diabetes. But, you know, they're, they're really good. Uh, but then there is bittersweet chocolate, which I don't know why you would screw up something that was so beautiful in sweet chocolate and then make it bitter. I, I'm not sure. Uh, sweet and sour chicken. If you've ever had sweet and sour chicken, you know that that's a little sour and a little sweet. Pomegranates, they have that same effect on people. But, but even outside of the food industry, we know that there are bittersweet moments. Like when you leave Disneyland, it's bittersweet. You, you, you wish that you could stay a little bit longer, but you don't have any more money. So you have, to, you have to leave. That bittersweet moment when you say goodbye to your kid as he goes off to college or she goes off to college. That bittersweet moment when you, um, when you hug your daughter goodbye for the last time as she is going to be uh, getting married. And, and Aniston, that'll never happen for like 50, 60 years. Don't worry. But, but, uh, but then there's all that bittersweet moment when someone passes away. You know, somebody that you love, love dearly, 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 and they might have had a long health battle. And it's bitter because you don't want them to go, but it, it's sweet because they no longer have to feel that fight. And so bittersweet moments are just difficult. In fact, they're, they're bittersweet for a lot of different reasons. And, and what you have to realize is that they're complex, but they're also very simple. And guys, let's, let's just talk about it. This whole COVID thing is a really a bittersweet thing. I mean, the, the, we're forced to be inside with our family. So on the outside, that's a sweet thing. We love to connect with them. But honestly, there's some, it's jacked up some rhythms we've had. Our work rhythms and our marriage rhythms and our, and our working out rhythms and our eating rhythms and our parenting rhythms and all these rhythms have been changed. And on the surface, it's sweet because you're slowing down and connecting with your family, but there's some pretty bitter aspects to it. And even the thought of Easter can have that effect. I love Easter. I love Easter. I love to see people connect with Jesus. I love when I used to eat sweets, like I love Cadbury eggs. Oh my goodness. I, I just love that. But, but the reality is Easter is different this year. And you might be saying that same thing. You're kind of saying, well, gosh, it's just, it's not going to be the same as it was last year. And all your family connections are going to be different. And you're going to be you know, doing virtual connections with your family. And so it's, it's just different. But again, what I want to encourage you guys on Easter, dress up. Even if you're online, take some pictures of yourself, dress up. Let's keep a little tradition alive. But this whole bittersweet thing is, is everywhere. In these bittersweet moments, we can't separate. We can't separate the bitter and the sweet. We can't just have the sweet because they're a package deal together. And there might not be a greater bittersweet moment in all of history than when Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time. Palm Sunday. 
is more than just fanfare, waving, waving people, waving palm branches in front of Jesus. But it's actually when the fans of, of, of the flames of Jesus' death are beginning to, to engulf this, this city. But to, but to understand this bittersweet even more, we have to be able to, to ingest all of the complexities of this moment and to be able to savor the Savior that much more during this time. Because to understand it, we have to look deep within it and realize that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's, he, the, the, his, his account of this is found in all four of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels we find about this, this, this almost in exact precision, the same story that's happening. So let, let me explain that. If you don't know who, who, who God is, you're not familiar with your Bible, the four Gospels it really means this that the, the New Testament begins with these four accounts of Jesus's life written by four different people. Now, Matthew is one of the disciples of Jesus. He wrote one that's called Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is an interesting one because it was penned by a man by the name of Mark, but it actually was inspired by Peter, one of the disciples, that Mark was probably just writing what Peter told him. Luke was a historian. He was a theologian. He was a Christ follower, but he was hired by the name of Theophilus to be able to write an accurate account of Jesus's life. So that's that gospel. And then the last one is John. And John was the disciple that was closest to Jesus, but he wrote about Jesus's life. That's what those four gospels all tell us. And they tell in almost exact synergy, this one moment, this Palm Sunday moment when Jesus enters the city for the very first time, which tells us, or for the last time, it tells us that this is a very important moment. It's an epic moment in Jesus's ministry. Even the editors of the Bible all agree on the title of it. All four of the Gospels will call it Jesus comes to Jerusalem as a king, as king. And so I, I remember when my kids were little and, and Aniston and Easton did this for us. It's just so cute. They told uh, Cherie and my, my wife Cherie and I, hey, we're going to put on a play for you. Go in the kitchen. And so when we were in Chicago, we went in the kitchen and they said, OK, you can come out. And when we came out, they had recreated the Palm Sunday experience. And they had the American girl horse with them being able, that was the horse that Jesus was going to ride on. They had um, stuffed animals lining the sides of the street. I think Elsa and Anna and Olaf were there. So it was a star-studded affair, if you know what I mean. And then they had put down burp rags from the nursery down on the ground as the cloaks and the palm branches that the horse was riding on. It was so cute. I just love it. I love, 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 loved it so much. But it was great, but it wasn't a shot-for-shot shot remake. Fairly confident Elsa was not there at the, um, at the Palm Sunday moment. It might be like an Easter egg we find out later, but I don't think that she was there. So it wasn't a shot-for-shot shot remake. And here's the reason why. Uh, in, in Jerusalem at the time, they were preparing for the biggest celebration of the year known as the Passover. And the Passover was a seven to eight day uh, party, if you will, remembering a moment in time known as the Passover. Let me explain to that a little bit to you what that kind of means. Again, if you're not familiar with your Bible, you might not even know what I'm talking about. But the Passover is a remembrance from back when the people of God, they were called the Israelites, were in Egypt. And they were in captivity under the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was treating them terribly. God heard their cries and he wanted to let the people go. But in order for that to happen, Pharaoh had to say yes. So God sent all these different plagues onto the land to try to convince Pharaoh. But it wasn't until the last one, which is where the angel of death was sent and it killed the firstborn in every household that it changed his mind. However, God made a way out for the people. And he said, if you take the blood of a, of an, of a lamb or of a goat and you put it up and over the doorposts of your house, the death angel will come to that home and pass over it and, and save the people inside. 
So that's what the people did. The angel of the Lord passed over. It did not kill anyone. And so finally the Pharaoh said, get out of here. I'm sick of you and your God. Leave. I need let my people go. And so all the people left. Millions of people into freedom. But every year they would remember this Passover moment when Jesus passed, or when, when the death angel passed over them and allowed them to be saved. So the Passover was huge, seven to eight days long. And, and it wasn't like a couple of people kind of hanging out there. Scripture will tell us, or actually scholars will tell us, it could be upwards of 50,000 to 120,000 people that were in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So it was a magic moment. It was a celebratory moment. It was a sweet moment. But at the very same time, there was something else happening because the religious people at the time had, had, had grown to despise Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus. They hated him so much is that they wanted to kill him. So the scene that Jesus is walking into is not all that serene and peaceful for him. It is a mixed bag of emotions. It's filled with excitement and anticipation and sweetness about this festival that's happening, but it also has a bitter, murderous undertone, a discontent bubbling to the surface with all these religious leaders and with Jesus. And so as Jesus turns his sight to Jerusalem, this is what Jesus knows is ahead of him. He's going into a city that is so sweet and he loves so much in Jerusalem, but there is a bitterness that he cannot avoid. And that's where, if you have your Bibles here today, we're going to jump in. Luke chapter 19. You can look at your Bible that you might have in front of you or your host will send you a link so you can access the Bible online. But Luke chapter 19 is where we'll be at. And we're going to jump in and start at verse 28. You'll be able to catch up with us. Luke chapter 19, starting verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So listen, to really understand this moment, we have to unpack it a bit. Because as you unpack it, you're gonna find all these sweet moments that are inter interwoven in here that you need to kind of appreciate. And as we start off today, I just want us to start off and realize that he instructs the disciples to go ahead of him to find something for him to ride on. Now, here's something just free of charge for you. I love this little nugget. The fact that Jesus has everything orchestrated ahead of time, it, it just speaks to my type A plus love little checkbox personality that I have. I know there are people out there right there, right now that love to underline things and cross things off. I, I, I love that. So Jesus has it all ready to go. But what's interesting about it is the mode of transportation that he chooses, the manner in which he chose to go into Jerusalem. So a donkey or a horse that Jesus chose was not just like the most accessible animal that he could have ridden on. No, the fact that he chose that showed something about power and about royalty. Because it was very common for kings to, that come back from war to enter into a city riding on something. So the idea of riding a horse was a sign of power that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You'll see King Saul and King David, they all rode horses into the city after a big war. You'll also see that kings that conquered the Israelites would do the very same thing. They would ride through the town as a way of power and authority and dominance over the people. This is just what would happen. 
So this idea that him riding a horse was a big deal. But on top of that, even the animal Jesus rides is a fulfillment to what the Old Testament said was going to happen. If you jump back to the book of Zechariah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. In Zechariah 9.9, we read that rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, so guys, even the fact that Jesus rode on what he rode on tells us something really important. And, and here's kind of something that I found out really cool about this verse. And it's a detail that's found in both Luke and Zechariah that we just read here. And it was the type of horse that Jesus rode on. So see if you can catch this small little detail that you might have missed. I missed so many times having read this. I don't know how many times. But check out this small little detail that we read in Luke again. It said, Go to the village, Jesus says. Go ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, did you, did you catch it? Right? You catch it. It's this word right here. It's this word, colt. Right? Really important to kind of take a look at. Colt. So, so what does this mean here? It's a unique detail, very important that I take for granted. And we've got a lot of farmers and ranchers that are part of our church here in the Central Valley of California. So you might already know this, but for naive people like the rest of us, we didn't know that a colt was a horse that was under the age of four years of age. And it also hadn't been gelded yet or it hadn't been neutered. And what that means is that it was kind of wild. Colts were wild and wild kind of crazy because until they're gelded, they, they have kind of a mind of their own. So, so I, had to, I had to seek some professional help on this. Not that professional help, like I, I might need that too, but a different kind of professional help. I, I reached out to a professional rodeo friend of mine and I just asked him this set. I said, hey, what are the chances that someone could get on a colt uh, that had never been ridden before and just ride it? And he said to me, well, you know, horses are different. You might catch one that was able to do it and, and not. So it's, it's very rare, but it's possible. I said, okay. Well, what is the chances of somebody riding on a colt that had never been ridden before, never been gelded before, controlling it, and then riding it in the middle of a city lined with 100,000 100, people yelling and screaming at the same time? What are the chances? And he said to me, zero. Zero. Zero percent chance that you could ride a colt into the city with hundreds of thousands of people all around. But check it out. What we just read here and what we'll continue to read is he didn't, Jesus just didn't hop on the colt and get bucked off like you and I would. No, he says he got on the colt, he controlled it, he rode it into Jerusalem with a hundred thousand people yelling at the same time. And so what this little detail did for me, and I hope that it did for you, is to know that Jesus was in control of creation all the time. How sweet is that to know that in this one word, we are told so much about Jesus. And in the times that we are in right now, right now, I think we, I'm so grateful to know that Jesus is still in control. He's still in control of creation, that nothing is outside of his scope of awareness or control. And yes, we don't know why things are happening and we don't understand everything right now, but I'm glad that Jesus is governing over it all and not me, that he is still the God of creation. And I hope you hear that loud and clear. In the middle of your fear and your anxiety and your worry, know that Jesus is still, is still Lord and God over all creation. 
So important for us to know, but we continue. Look at verse 37 of Luke 19. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John would tell us that this is where they wave the palm branches in his account. But let's consider these palm branches for a second. Again, what in the world is this whole thing about? What's the significance of them? So the palm branches were more than just a floral extract or extra like baby's breath in a bouquet. You know what I'm talking about, like uh, uh, Dutch Roots Farms. You guys, you get this, okay? Uh, but, but the date palm branch had a specific meaning for the Jews and it represented Jewish nationalism because the Jews didn't like Rome. In, in, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's one blank piece of paper, usually, in their Bible. And that is this period of about 400 years. But within there, there was a, a revolt that was known as the Maccabean Revolt. It's when the Jewish peoples revolted against Rome. And in that time, they had their own coins. They had all these different things. And one of the things that they had on their coins was a palm branch because it was a sign of defiance against Rome. So these palm branches were more than just like a, a, a garnish. No, no, no. What happened is, is when whoever was waving a palm branch, whoever the wind brushed on, that rush of air meant that that person receiving it was powerful. So the palm branches would have been like the, uh, like the donkey or the elephant that we have in our political atmosphere right now. But as author John Ortberg points out very astutely, he says, without a doubt, waving a palm branch in front of Rome would have been like waving a red flag to a bull. It would have made them all mad. But, but it wasn't just the palm branches that was fanning the flame. It just wasn't this act of, of, of defiance. No, the words that they shouted had significance too. Luke points out exactly what they were saying. Actually, they were quoting from the book of, of Psalms. Psalm 118, verse 25, we hear the, the, them say, Hosanna, which actually means in Aramaic, save us now. Going on in Psalm 118, they also yell, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting scripture at Jesus as he walks through from King David. But then John points out another thing that they said in his, in his account, and he said this. In John's account, it said that they said, blessed is the king of Israel. So here's the thing. Scripture, scripture. This is not from scripture at all. This is not at scripture at all. They, they, they deviated. And what happens here is that the people are yelling this, but they tip their hand. They tip their hand because what they wanted was a king. They wanted a king is what they wanted. But notice that it wasn't a capital K king. No, what they wanted was a lower K king. They wanted somebody to appease them politically. They didn't want a spiritual king. So as John Orberg again says in his book, he says, blessed is the one who is, he's saying this is what in essence what they're saying. Blessed is the one who's going to overthrow Pilate, Herod, and Caesar. That's what they're saying. And with that, they would have said, those are fighting words. The people were ready to cast their vote for Jesus to make him their new king. He said, their brand new king. And they wanted to see all the power given back to the Jews that the Rome had taken away. So this was no longer a festival. This was a political rally that Jesus was coming into, which is why the sweetness of this moment began to fade. See, the Pharisees had been quiet up until this point, hadn't they? They haven't heard from them. They haven't spoken up yet. But this whole parade of Jesus coming into town was too much. Palm branches waving, words being shouted. It provoked the religious bull. And now they were ready to charge. 
They were ready to go, which is why Luke captures this part of the story that's so important. Look in verse 39. In verse 39, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So Jesus is pointing out the obvious. He's telling him, listen, there's no stopping this eventual kingdom of God that Jesus has been preaching about. Creation itself cannot help but worship Jesus, which is why the religious leaders realized that they couldn't outwit, they couldn't trick him, intimidate, or out-religion Jesus. There was no way. They were completely frustrated. And so John's gospel actually makes a point to capture these exasperated sentiments by the Pharisees in John 12, 19, where it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Isn't that awesome to read? Can you imagine what it would be like if the whole world goes after Jesus. They're saying, listen, the whole world's going after him. Could you imagine what that would be like if that actually happened? Let me explain it this way. Uh, In today's uh, arena, uh, sports uh, figures are super, super popular. People follow them and all kinds of stuff. But the way that, uh, a unique way that they determine who is popular and who is not in the sports world is actually by jersey sales. Right, the, the jerseys that they wear, their sales. And so the more jerseys that you sell, the more popular that you become. And so Fanatics is a jersey sales p- p- a place that you can kind of gauge this off of. And so I just wanted to show you what the top three athletes in every one of the top three sports is what their j- top jersey sales are. And so, for instance, we find out that Tom Brady, who now plays for the Buccaneers, and, and Patrick Mahomes and Khalil Mack, they are the top three jersey sales in the NFL. So that you would consider them the best. How about in the NBA? LeBron James, Steph Curry, what's up, right? And then Giannis, I'm not going to take a shot at his name. He plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. All awesome athletes. LeBron, Steph, and Giannis, they're the top three. How about baseball? Baseball, we got Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge, and Cody Bellinger. Now, I have a problem with this right now, and here's the problem. Um, He cheated, so he's off of my list altogether, and he is a Dodger, so I cannot agree with anything that he does, which leaves us only one, in baseball, one top jersey sale is Aaron Judge. <laughs> Easy, you'll be fine. Okay, so, so if we put all of them back up on there, this is what we said. These are the, the whole world knows about these athletes. These are the top athletes of the entire world. And what the Pharisees just said is, is, is really interesting. They said the whole world knows about somebody else. And did you know that at some point in this time, in in this world, at some point in our lives, one person is going to trump all of those people, and that is Jesus. They're saying the whole world is going to him, that Jesus will have the top jersey sales at one point. At some point, everyone will know. Imagine what that will be like when that occurs. And the religious leaders were getting a taste of that on that Palm Sunday. As a pastor in the Bible once said, uh, it, it, um, his name is Paul in Philippians 2.10, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul says this will happen. It's going to happen. But here in this Palm Sunday, every knee was not bowing for the spiritual aspect of Jesus, but they were bending their political and their powerful knee, hoping that Jesus would be their king. And the Pharisees saw that this was happening and they couldn't handle it anymore, which is why this moment was the the straw that broke the Pharisees back when it came to Jesus. 
And they had every reason to be exhausted and completely afraid of the power and influence that he was gaining. But knowing all this is swirling around, Jesus begins to have a heavy spirit because the true bitterness of this moment is starting to, to settle into his heart as he crests the hill of the Mount of Olives and he overlooks this beautiful city of Jerusalem. And we read what he says in verse 41 of chapter 19. It says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. Jesus wept, but why? Why would he weep? How could he be crying when the cheers of thousands of people are shouting his name? How could he be upset as he's riding into the city like a king? How could there be anything but sweetness in his spirit as the fragrance of date palm branches marinate his lungs? How could there be anything bad? As the reason is, is because all the fanfare meant nothing if they didn't understand what was really at stake. Look what Luke tells us as we continue. It says, if you even, if you, if you even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Listen to those words because here is the bottom line that Jesus is trying to tell us all. It's this, is that the people wanted a king, but what they needed was a savior. The people wanted a king, but what they needed was a savior. And this small idea tells us how little they have actually grown from way back in the Old Testament. Because back in the Old Testament, God used to be the, the one that was in control. He would be the one that they led to, they, they leaned on and they trusted. And, but when Samuel came around, this prophet Samuel came around, all of a sudden the people got tired of God and they wanted a king. And they asked Samuel to talk to God and say, hey, ask him for a king. We want a king. We want to be just like everybody else. God says, no, you don't. They said, yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. And finally, God says, okay. But Samuel got upset. And rightfully so, he gets upset because he doesn't, he knows it's the wrong thing. But God tells him something very important in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He says, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They rejected me as their king. And Jesus could see that the people in the city that he loved wanted a king and they soon would reject him because Jesus wouldn't deliver on what they really wanted. He wouldn't be a king. And Jesus weeps for only second time in scripture. The first time is at the loss of his friend Lazarus. And the second is around a city full of people that were lost. Jesus weeps. He's truly a bittersweet moment. And the reality is, is that our world right now is in the tension, the tension of both bitter and the sweet of Jesus. Because sadly, we have become more embittered to him in our life as more and more people are rejecting his offer of love and grace and mercy because our world is still waiting for a king to make us powerful. But what we find is that the kings that we elect when they fall, just leave us in a lost sea of broken crowns. It's all that happens. My friends, what we realize and what we need to realize is that we need something more than a king. 
And can I just tell you that what Jesus' entry into that city of Jerusalem should tell us is that Jesus wants to do the very same thing in your heart and in my heart. That he can ride triumphant into the city of our heart and be our king. Jesus came to show us that there is nothing sweeter than the taste of grace. As the psalmist says in in Psalm chapter 34, verse eight, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, it says. So for all of us this Palm Sunday, I pray that we can come to know this truth more than anything else, that listen to this, that Jesus took the bitterness of death so we could taste the sweetness of life. That's what Jesus did for you. And for me, he took on the bitterness of death so we could have the sweetness of life. He did that. But here's the deal. As we read this story, we just need to know that none of those sweet moments that we outlined were sweet for Jesus. None of them were. They might look sweet to us because to us, power and prestige and fame and popularity and influence are all things that we all want desperately. But what Jesus knew was that all of those things were temporary. In the grand scheme of things, they are all temporary compared to what he was about to offer them. And could we just be really honest with ourselves today? Could we just be honest with ourselves wherever we might be at right now? that we realize that as we shelter at home, we have been forced to do some things and not do some things in our life, haven't we? And all of a sudden, we start to realize how much those other things really mattered to us. Because we, we realize that those were things that we really cared about, eating out and working out and hanging out and being, being out. All those things have kind of been taken away from us. And now we're, we're left with, with just ourselves in some cases, with our families in some cases, and we just ask ourselves, well, goodness, what what do we do now? And what we've noticed, and if you'll allow yourself to notice, is that all those things that we wish were inside us, that we have this empty feeling of, were our kings. They were things that we loved more than Jesus. And if you don't know who Jesus is, that longing of those things, when you do those things again someday, They won't fill you. They're not going to satisfy you because there's an ache inside you that only Jesus can fill. And so what would it be like if we took this time of sheltering at home and saw it as a sweet moment amongst the bitterness to love and connect with Jesus? To ask ourselves the question, what do we love more than Jesus? Who is really the king of our life? Do we want the king of kings and lord of lords? Or do you want the king of success do we want the king of popularity? Do we want the king of, of, of sleeping with whoever we want to? Like, what is, what is the king of our life? And some of us have wrestled with that. We realize that some of the kings we've had is that we've, 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 um, we've cheated on our spouse because we wanted that king. We, we, we've done things that, are, that, are, that, that compromise our integrity at work. We've, we've done things that have kept us from our family. All of those things were our kings. But now in this moment, God is saying, what if you just focused on me? It's all you got right now. What if you focused on me, and can I be the king of your life? My friends, I pray and I hope that you could do that because Jesus came to take the bitterness of death so we can have the sweetness of life in him. And that's what we remember at communion every week. So that's why I want you to prepare your hearts. Get the cracker, get the juice, get ready. We're gonna worship and then come back together as a body of believers and we'll commune together. But I want you to ask the question, who is the king of your life? What do you love more than Jesus? Jesus.
And as we answer that, my prayer is that more people will connect with Jesus, follow him fully, and allow the bitterness of death to slip away so the sweetness of life can be found in him. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your, your grace in our lives, Lord, that you are patient with us. And God, through the story, we realize that you entered into a city triumphant with a, with a bunch of people that wanted a king, but not the king that you were going to give them. They weren't, you weren't going to be a political king. You were going to be a spiritual king that freed them from their sin, and yet they missed it. But God, I'm afraid that some of us are missing it too, that we fill our lives with false kings all the time, hoping that he or she will, will make us whole. And so God, I just realized that now, hopefully more than ever, we can realize it's not true. And as all that stuff is stripped away, we realize what we need is you. So God, I pray if there's anyone out there that either knows you right now and has come away, that they would come back to you. But if they know you, they have never known you, they've never understood you, God, today would be the day right where they're at that they would accept you, Jesus, as their Savior. That they would realize that, Jesus, you took on the cross, you, you took on the tomb for them, you defeated death for them, you prepare a place for them in heaven right now, and you give us grace to be able to have access to that. So God, I pray that if anyone out there doesn't know you, that they would simply say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm apart from you. Jesus, I need you in my life. Come into my life and save me. Be my, be my savior, be my king. I repent of my sin and my past. I embrace the beauty of, the, of what's in front of me and want you in my life. So God, you tell us if anyone claims Jesus as the Lord and savior, they are saved in the moment and that you have made them whole, that you are their king. So God, I pray that we would do that as we remember you at communion. Might we worship you well right now. We give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.